Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
Wesley backpedaled from the fireplace, almost falling over one of the flipped-over chairs punctuating the dust-strewn floor. Voren proved more sturdy, simply retracting from the mouth of the chimney, a grimace creasing the bottom of his face. Moffat just stood there, his lamp projecting hordes of writhing shadows across the walls. Silence pervaded the room, a predator quiet that haunted the cabin, stalking its inhabitants. Riva suddenly appeared from the hallway to the right of the room, signing to Voren. Voren's face became sterner, as if he were turning it to stone in order to prevent it from contorting into panic. He quickly followed Riva back through the hallway, Moffat right behind him. Wesley managed to move his legs, despite the tight knots jamming them up, and hurriedly followed the rest of the group. A musty stench permeated the ruined hallway, strange-looking lichen and mold inhabiting its walls and ceiling, motes of the stuff drifting in the air like tiny abandoned sailboats on the sea. The floorboards grumbled as they went, wood-rotten age giving voice to the now-strained lumber beneath their feet. Soon, the detritus and rummage bedecking the hall was replaced with what looked to be a red carpet that ran the rest of the length of the hallway. However, upon closer inspection, the suspected runner was actually blood, a solid vermilion trail that led to a shattered window, its glass teeth still stained red. Giving little time to process the scene, Riva moved further down the hallway and opened the door at the end of it, entering what looked like a long, abandoned bedroom. Strange little knickknacks stared out from their shelved homes on the walls, their blank eyes white voids that felt like they might suck you in if you stared at them too long. There was a vanity in the right corner, its mirror a spider web of cracks and fractures that turned Wesley's reflection into something Picasso might paint. It might as well have been a reflection of his mind, a cracked thing held together by only the frailest of forces. The rest of the furnishings in the room were what one might expect. A dresser made from some kind of pale wood, a rocking chair, a full-size bed pushed flush against the far wall. It was the man-sized hole in the middle of the bed's mattress that gave them pause, though. The bed looked like it had been torn through, its wool entrails spread out across the mouth of the cavity. Wesley cautiously knelt down and looked beneath the bed, confirming his morbid suspicion. The hole continued into the floor and the ground beneath it, bloodied handprints staining the rim of the hollow. Fucking hell. Moffat quickly chimed in. Not quite, but I believe we might be standing at the lip of it, my dear boy. Wesley felt whatever bravery he had mustered travel down his throat in one single gulp. Fear crept its icy hands across him his body going cold from the implications of it all. Riva turned to the rest of the group, his hands rapidly flashing signs. Riva says we all stay together. Let him take the lead throughout the house in case, well, we come across whatever did this. Dr. Morrigan, you know how to use a gun? Uh, a little bit. My foster parents taught me the basics on the ranch when I was a kid. Never really liked the things, to be honest. Why? Voren walked over to a space between the bed and a misshapen nightstand and pulled out a rifle similar to the one they found near the fireplace. The unfortunate soldier who disappeared through the hole in the bed must have placed it there before taking his or her nap. Aside from River, it's the only other protection we've got. I abhor the things myself, but circumstances are ever the heralds of necessity. Voren walked up to Wesley and handed him the gun, 
He didn't remember the things being so heavy, but then again, he hadn't held a gun since his teens back in Montana. Back then, he would shoot cans for practice or kill the occasional varmint with his foster dad's bolt action. He'd never used an assault rifle before, but he assumed the basic mechanics were the same. Muscle memory would do the rest, he hoped. Armed and ready to fight the darkness, are we? Do you feel like a man with that big gun in your hands, Wesley? Hmm? It's too bad it won't amount to a pile of shit. You just stay close to the Malsair, and if he falls, you kneecap the ink dragon and that fucking Moffat so whatever's out there focuses attention on them. Then you get the hell out of here, you hear me? You're a real piece of shit, you know that? What makes you think we... Er, I could survive out there by myself? There are ways, but never mind that. Follow your little friends, Wesley, and remember what I said. Wesley let the voice's words sink into the oblivion of his unconscious, and then walked back to the living room with the others, careful to stay close to Riva as the voice had instructed. He had no plans to act on the voice's other recommendations, but sticking close to Riva seemed like a no-brainer. Vorin collected the other rifle from the fireplace and handled it with some familiarity. He wondered what kind of places those two had seen, what other unfathomable sights they had witnessed in their, no doubt, countless outings for the esteemed Salence University. He had always heard strange rumblings about the Institute, how there were clandestine groups behind the place's academic facade. Similar rumors about Mistoric University and Raveland circulated among its peers, but he never paid them much attention, chalking it up to post-darkness superstition. Another example of his erudite hubris he supposed. And what of my protection? Am I expected to engage the thing with only my fists? <sighs> Do you want my rifle, then? Moffat guffawed and then walked past Vorin. Of course not. I detest the primitive things. Why would you ask such a silly thing? <sighs> Fucking Moffats. With Riva in the lead, the group slowly climbed the stairs to the second floor. Each stair complained as they went a cacophony of creaks and whines accompanying their ascent. Reaching the top, they faced another long hallway, several doors lining its length. Sconces hung on the wall between each of the three entranceways, ornate-looking things that contrasted the aesthetic of the rest of the house. Long cobwebs dangled from the I-beams above like vines in some exotic jungle, wispy things that subtly drifted on the breath of a draft. Riva pointed to the first door on the right and slowly opened it. The room looked to be a study of some sort, old uneven bookshelves lining the walls, a writing desk tucked in the right-hand corner of the room. Moffat shined his lantern towards it. The thing looked to be homemade and constructed from some kind of knotty black wood. Its surface was crowded with papers, a small leather-bound journal in the middle of it. Vorn stepped over to the thing, sifting through the documents, scrutinizing them. Anything recognizable? Looks like it could be some derivative of Mithric, but none I've ever seen. It seems to be a totally unique dialect. Vorn picked up the small journal laying on the desk and flipped through it. The pages crackled like old parchment, suggesting the age of the small book. 
Wesley watched as Vorin rummaged through his satchel and pulled out a large, relatively new-looking book. He placed it on the desk with the care of a lifelong bibliophile and opened its cover. Wesley could see the tome's pages were blank. Vorn put his left hand on the pages of the open journal and closed his eyes. Black liquid, ink, began to bleed from the pages of the aged journal, rivulets of the stuff traveling up his arm like liquescent snakes. After streaming up past his elbow, the ink eventually settled as a swirling tattoo that spiraled up his arm and around a part of his neck. A jet serpent coiled around its victim. He then gently placed his right hand on the blank pages of the book from his satchel. The circuitous tattoo began to writhe again, slithering from the left side of his body to the right, coursing down his arm and seeping onto the blank pages. The ink whirled and danced across the paper, staining it in ornate cursive writing. Wesley couldn't be sure, but it now seemed to be in English. Before Wesley could decipher any of the calligraphic writing, Foreign closed the tome and quickly made his way to one of the walls of books. I'm going to try and transcribe some of these books, maybe gain some context or even a sliver of goddamn understanding of what we're dealing with. The man went about his work like some magical cryptographer, too busy and invested in his sorcery to notice Wesley's amazement. The others acted as if nothing had happened, as if the laws of physics hadn't just been thrown to the heap pile with the rest of the world he thought he knew. He tried to ignore it for now, looking about the room, trying to make himself useful. Why don't you all check out the other rooms? I'll be here for a while, by the looks of it. Riva threw Vorn a stern glare and began to furiously sign. I know, I know, we're supposed to stick together, but you'll only be in the next room. If some shambling horror appears, I'll be sure to call. Riva waved his hand in frustration and signaled to Wes and Moffat to follow him. The trio left the bookworm to his work and cautiously entered the room next door, the mailsayer in the lead. It appeared to be a children's bedroom, as the beds were much too small for an adult, and the blankets possessed a certain whimsy to their pattern. There were stuffed animal-like toys on the shelves bedecking the walls, all covered under a meshwork of cobwebs that made the things practically unrecognizable. On the dresser in the left corner of the room, Wes could see some framed illustrations of a family. A boy, a girl, and, presumably, their mother and father. The pictures had a melancholy aura to them, the subjects' faces stoic and unsmiling. Many of the painted scenes showed the family at worship, kneeling before various ghastly statues in reverence of whatever terrible gods this place had to offer. Other images showed them in a community of some sort, gatherings that seemed to take place just outside the houses they were currently occupying. It looked like some kind of religious congregation, a kind of spiritual event the families attended together. For what purpose, Wesley hadn't the foggiest idea. While the others continued to peruse the children's room in its every nook and cranny, Wes slipped out into the hallway and creaked open the door to the third and final room of the second floor. What is it you are doing, you idiot? I said stay close to the fucking mail stair. What part of that did you not understand? They're in the next room. We'll cover more ground this way. I'm just trying to pull my weight. It'll be dead weight if you don't listen to me. Or is this another attempt to challenge the darkness? Show you're not afraid of it anymore? Listen to me well, Wesley Morgan, you little fucking bag of rotting meat. Go back in the other room with the mail stair. 
Or what? What'll you do? Yell at me? Whether you're just a product of psychosis or something else, one thing's clear. You're not in control. I am. And I say we're going inside this goddamn room. Oh, you insignificant thing. That's just it, my dear Wesley. You're not in control. You never were. The moment you spilled out from that fucking sow mother of yours, your path was paved, no matter how much they tried to avoid it. What the hell are you going on about now? Never mind that, Wesley. You take your little tour. <laughs> Enjoy the sights. Wesley tried to mentally push the voice aside, but it was like trying to untangle a snake that had wrapped itself around you. It only tightened its grip. For now, it seemed to be happy to have had the last word, so Wesley dropped the argument and entered the third room. The place looked to be some kind of den. A large armchair stood on an ornately embroidered but tattered red throw rug, at the center of which was a wooden coffee table that looked hand-carved, strange writing dug into its margins. On the walls were more sconces that hadn't housed a flame in ages, their phantoms long extinguished. To his left was an unremarkable four-drawer dresser and a large cabinet that housed a myriad of odd knickknacks. The latter looked like small idols, the kind you might carry around in your pocket. They reminded him of the small trinkets Catholics kept with them of their favorite saints, always there to clutch in times of need. Most peculiar, however, was the garish door decorating the west wall, standing aloof and away from everything else in the room. Wesley closed the distance and took a better look. The door was in complete contrast to the rest of the house, where the house and the furniture it contained bore the marks of homemade craftsmanship. The door was perfectly intact and lacked any sign of blemish or infliction. The carved sigils that decorated its edges were filled with a kind of pale material, like moonlight had somehow been melted down and poured into the grooves. The panels of the door were rich with Baroque designs their white, lavish patterns contrasting beautifully with the dark wood they had been emblazoned upon. Wesley grabbed the knob, which seemed to be made of the same shiny material as the glyphs, and opened the door. A set of stairs ascended before Wesley, decrepit things that starkly contrasted the rather glamorous door that led to them. Darkness loomed at the top of the stairs, a starless cosmos living in the attic of a long-abandoned farmhouse. He searched his pocket for the lighter he always carried with him. He had stopped smoking years ago, but couldn't get himself to nix the Zippo that came along with the habit. Its presence made him comfortable for some reason, perhaps a little piece of nostalgia that reminded him of the sweet drag of a cigarette. Regardless, it had a more pressing function now. Wesley flicked his thumb and a small flame was summoned from the metal thing. He slowly made his way up the stairs. When he reached the top, he was surprised to see some light coming in from the roof, which looked like it had collapsed. It was only the smallest trickling of moonlight, but together with his Zippo, he was able to make out some details of the room. For the most part, the place shared its decrepitude with the rest of the house. Moldy walls, cobweb-strewn I-beams, an ocean of dust wafting in the air, subtly twinkling in the moonlight. But as he stepped towards the middle of the room, he began to notice shapes burnt into the wood of the floor. 
Moving his lighter about, the tiny flame revealed a strange symbol that spanned the entirety of the room. It looked like something he would see in a horror movie, a glyph of some sort scorched into the floor to summon demons or the devil himself. His wife had been a spiritualist, of sorts, and he recalled some pictures of sacred geometry in a book she showed him once. What he was looking at didn't seem too different. He took a few steps further and discovered streaks of something in the middle of the esoteric symbol. Dried blood. A lot of it. He directed his minute flame towards the walls, where stripes of ancient arterial spray striped the moldering wood. Looking up, he realized he was directly below the hole in the roof, where now he could see that it was broken inward, as if something massive had plunged through it. Wesley instinctively backed up, keeping his eye on the canopy-drowned sky. Find anything interesting, Dr. Morgan? Fuck! Jesus Christ, Moffat, you scared the shit out of me! Not to worry, my dear friend. I'm sure you've plenty to spare. Before Wesley could spit out a venomous reply, he saw Riva glaring at him from behind Cyrus, his eyes disapproving, angry. He began to feverishly sign. Wes didn't need to be able to translate it in order to understand what he was saying. I know, I'm... Uh, I'm sorry. I, I should have stayed with the group. I just... I just got caught up in it all, I guess. Riva maintained his stare as he walked past Wesley, then inspected the bizarre sigil on the floor with the assistant of Moffat's lantern light. It's certainly a ritualistic circle of some sort, but beyond that I've no idea what it is or what it's specifically used for. It's the sign of the last interfactorum. Vorn stepped forward from the top of the stairs, the small journal Wesley had seen him translate earlier in his hand. What the hell is an interfectorum? It means slayer in Latin. Beyond that, I have no fucking clue. You got that from that journal? Indeed. And a couple of other meaty tidbits, too. Apparently, this place was a kind of compound for an ostracized little sect that worshipped this last interfactorum. They did so in this quiet little grove that we're standing in now, in fact. This worship culminated in a ritualistic mass sacrifice, where they expected an avatar of the interfactorum, something they called the Masterless Angel, to strip them of their earthly, or unearthly as the case may be, moorings, and allow their souls to become one with their aforementioned lord. By the looks of that roof, they got what they wanted, and then some. So, we're currently at the base of some kind of cult? At least, that's the gist of what I was able to read of the journal. I've still barely scratched the surface. A lot of it contained terms, names, places that I can't understand without more context. Hopefully, these will help with that. Foran patted his satchel, which seemed to have several large tomes in it. Well, that's all very interesting, Mr. Gall. It doesn't explain the inferred slaughter of the soldiers. After all, the blood appears years old, whereas downstairs is as fresh as daisies. Unrelated, I imagine. Maybe whatever it was followed them here, killed them, and went on its way. Let's hope, anyway. River signed to Vorin, and then looked at the rest of the group. River recommends we all gather together in one of the rooms and get some sleep. He'll take first watch. Wes and the rest of the group gave a collective nod and went downstairs. River made his way back to the study, and the others followed suit unpacking their bedrolls and laying them out in a circle. 
Riva leaned against the wall, his blue eyes piercing whatever they fell upon. Wesley laid his head down, the sound of old wooden bones creaking a lullaby he would have to sleep to. He closed his eyes and let oblivion become the world. Wake up! Wesley jolted awake with a deep, abrupt breath, as if he'd been suffocating and was only up until that moment able to breathe. He looked around the room. Everyone was asleep, even Voren, who he assumed was supposed to be on watch given he was sitting in the chair next to the desk. Fucking useless ink-dribbling shit! We've all been through a lot, give him a break. Oh, spare me your bleeding heart sentiments. You wouldn't be thinking that if your fucking insides were decorating the room. Whatever, why did you wake me? Something's not right. I can sense it. What do you mean you can sense it? I can't sense a thing out of the ordinary. How can- We don't have time for your meager-minded astonishment, you idiot. Wake up the mouse there. At that moment, Wesley heard knocking on the small window on the far side of the room. Looking up, he could see the faint details of a child, a boy, smiling through the glass. He was gaunt and shirtless, his body little more than the skin covering his bones. His face was spiderwebbed with blue veins, and his skin was the shade of a corpse. Must raven hair draped over the kid's gray eyes, which were now burning a hole through Wesley. He could only see the top half of the boy, as his lower body was hidden below the sill of the window. The two stared at each other for a few moments, bewilderment taking over Wesley's mind, a thing trying to comprehend the horror of the moment. Before he could move, he saw what looked to be fingers poking out from the boy's lips, which articulated and grasped the edges of his mouth. Slowly, they began to pry open his jaws, stretching the limits of his face. The child's eyes rolled back into his head, replaced by a pair of opaque ones, and his mouth was now spewing a waterfall of writhing hands and wet tentacles that hung down and out of sight. One of the vomited limbs reached up and formed a fist, drew back, and heaved it towards the glass. Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anslone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anslone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L... T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythologies, stories, and more. For more information about Grimland and the world of Maltopia, visit us at maltopia.com. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.